0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. As we continue today in our series on the ancient paths, I'll tell you what. This is such a fun series for me. I hope you're having uh, like at least half as much fun as I'm having right now. We've been looking at this verse of scripture, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. I just love it. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Man, my soul longs for rest. And uh, I love what Jeremiah has to say, man, when you come to that spot, that spot of questions, look, because there is a path forward that brings life and that breathes life. So we've been looking at this, this ancient path. I believe, I believe that when Jesus showed up, he walked that path, right? Wouldn't that be natural assumption that Jesus, in fact, is the living embodiment of that ancient path? And so we have this model to look at in Christ. And so there is a lot in Scripture about this next um, category of spiritual uh, disciplines, of ancient pathways um, that we're going to look at. We're looking at prayer. Prayer. In fact, we've got, uh, I think we've got up there a list of these different categories uh, just kind of loosely put together um, regarding these, these ancient paths, these spiritual disciplines, these Bible disciplines and prayer disciplines, retreat, active, community, quiet, abstaining. And, and there's nothing, This are just kind of the way we organize them and categorize them so that we can talk about them together. But I believe that as we look at the life of Jesus, and some of his earliest followers, like Paul, who wrote a lot about the Christian life, we begin to see what, what Jeremiah was talking about when he talks about these ancient paths, this good way. And so today we're gonna we're gonna look at that second category there, the the, the prayer disciplines, and and uh, you know the, the couple of specific. Um, disciplines there on that list are, are prayer and worship. We spent a lot of time uh, earlier this year talking about worship, so we're going to lean heavier on the prayer side of things today. But again, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer, right? As, you, as one could imagine. You don't have to look real far before you start to see the types of things that are, that are said about prayer, the teaching on prayer, all these different types of prayers we find in the Bible. And yet, what we're looking for in this, like we could go a bunch of different ways. But our point today is this. It's not just see how Jesus taught, though we'll look some at that, but I want to know how he lived. What did, not just what did the words that he prayed or what he teach about prayer, I want to know how he prayed. I want to know the lifestyle of prayer that he lived. I don't want to just know the detail of the moment. I want, I want to see how he, he he shaped his life and how he modeled this for us. That's what's the beauty of, of just the, incarnate God in flesh, is that we actually get to see what God would do and how he would construct his life if he lived on earth, because he did. And so I want to look at a handful of passages. I'm just going to read through these really quick. Feel free for taking notes. Again, I highly encourage note-taking, especially through this series, um, as we're going to reference and come back to these, these spiritual disciplines. But jot these references down, because this is going to give us begin to give us this picture of not just what he did, but the frequency and, and, and the style in which he did it. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Already, I, I've already you know, lost some of you, right? <laughs> while it was still very early, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. It says he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Early, before the sun rose, this was his pattern. Luke 5, 15-16, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. So basically, this is the, this snapshot here in Luke 5, 15-16, his popularity is growing, the, his ministry is increasing, the need around him is growing, people are coming to him and, and, and need help. And it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Isn't it true that the busier we get, it's usually these spiritual disciplines like prayer and others like it that are, tend to be the things that slip out of the, the to-do list, right? And yet here we see this modeled for us, is that the busier Jesus got, the more it was important, he understood the importance of him to get away to pray, right? And, and, and we we'd say that like the more important it is, the more uh, spiritual, especially uh, our to-do list is, the more we justify not praying. So we let church activities and, 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 and other good things, family things, God loves the family, family opportunities and family responsibilities and, and, and church things and all these other good, I'm serving people things. We let all these other things and what happens is our own personal time with our Father begins to slip. I'll be honest, that's how I roll too if I'm not careful anybody, right? And Jesus saw this completely different. It was like the greater the demand on his schedule, the greater the priority to get away from it all so that he could spend time with his father. And we see that throughout his life. Jesus went out to a mountainside. This is Luke 6, uh, kind of 12 and 13 there. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Obviously not every single night, but there was times in his ministry, we recognize, I need a greater and a uh, more extended time of prayer. He spent the entire night in prayer with his father. Matthew 14, 23, after Jesus had had dismissed the crowds, we just done this ministry, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone, right? Like, so like, I don't know what time he went up there, but it wasn't evening yet. He, he, he not only did he do this regularly, get up in the morning while it was still dark, but he, he would oftentimes find these, these moments of, of extended times of prayer. Um, uh, Luke 9, 18, we also see it in, in Mark 8, 27, kind of the same storyline here. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him and he asked them, who did the crowd say that I am, right? We tend to look at the, hey, this is the story of, well, he says, who do the crowd say that I am? But we miss, like so often in the storyline, we miss the details that are leading up to it. We just all want to know about the story and he had this interaction, but it's significant. This came right on the heels of, man, he was by himself uh, with his father in prayer. Um, Luke 11.1, one. one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is also interesting. I'm telling you what, the, his disciples would have grown up. They were Jewish men. They would have grown up learning how to pray. Prayer was a significant aspect of their culture and their life. They knew how to pray and to do all the prayers. And yet when they watched Jesus pray, they went, you pray different. It was common to the religious folks would stand and, and they'd pray and it'd be loud and people could hear their saying and they're real fancy words. But there was something about Jesus' prayer that was different, that was, I don't know, simple. That was that was quiet and reserved. That brought no attention to itself. Even when he was with them, it was different than when he was than when they were with other religious teachers. It was different, and so he just prayed in such a way, with such frequency, in such manner in which he did it, the way that he did it. They're like, "You got to teach me how to do that." Like, I can know how to pray, but I don't know how to do that. And then we see this all the way up to the end of his life when Jesus and disciples had sung a hymn. They went out to the Mount of Olives. That's Mark 14, 26, and we see that's where he goes to, to pray. Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 gives us this insight that it was his usual place of prayer. So, that whole Mount of Olives, Jesus goes and he's sweating like drops of blood and, and all that. That wasn't a, like a special event. It's recorded in more detail, but that's just where he went to pray. Or he was just going back to what his, he consistently did. It's kind of like the whole Daniel thing. Hey, you're not supposed to pray. So what does he do? He just did what he always does. Jesus is about to face the cross. What does he do? He just does what he always does. He leans into that discipline of prayer. You know, in, in preacher world, you know, everybody's looking for a preacher who, who, who practices what they preach, right? Isn't that, isn't that what you're kind of looking for? You want something that's authentic, that's real, right? But here's the deal. Jesus practiced what he, what he preached, but it wasn't even like he practiced what he preached. It was more like he preached what he practiced, and, and there's a little bit of a difference. Like, he just lived his lifestyle. He walked this ancient path. He walked this good way, and his teaching and his preaching was like, hey, guys, look at this. Do this, right? Right? So we just read this, this model that Jesus gave for us, and then he teaches this. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, when he's speaking to the crowds, some of the crowds are going to be like, huh, that's different. But his 12, you know what his 12s were, do- were doing? They're going, I know it. It's so obnoxious. Like, you want his attention, and he's like gone. Like, this, he does this all the time. Right? This wasn't new teaching to those who are close to Jesus because he didn't just practice what he preached. He preached what he practiced. He said, I'm walking this way. Let me teach you how to walk this way too, right? And so what we do so often is we read the scripture and we read you know, the Lord's Prayer. We read the different prayers in the Bible. And then I was like, I want to pray like Jesus prayed. But I think our goal ought to be more than just to pray like Jesus prayed, but to live the life of prayer like Jesus lived there is a difference. It's not just about the event of prayer, doing it just right. It's about the life of prayer, that we're willing to not just submit this moment of prayer to God, but my life in prayer to God. That takes some rearranging. It takes some reprioritizing. That takes some saying no to things that I've always said yes to, I take them saying no to things I didn't know I was saying yes to, like sleeping until the sun comes up, <laughs> right? It, it, am I willing to model or to live what was modeled? So here's something that's interesting, right? Let's go back to that Matthew 6.6. 6. When, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's slow down there. Isn't that an interesting way to end that verse? will reward you? Wouldn't you assume that the next line would be when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will answer your prayers. Doesn't that seem like it would be a more fitting response? I wonder if it feels like it would be more fitting because we don't have a very full picture of what prayer is. <clears throat> when we think of prayer, right, which just most of us are in this boat. Not everybody, but a lot of us are in this boat. When we tend to think of prayer, we tend to think of asking for things. Don't we? But I, I think about my children. Like even my youngest. She's four years old. I, and, and, okay, you don't have to have kids to understand this at all. Have you ever noticed that kids are so needy, (laughs) right? They're so needy. I can't even, I can't even get the milk out of the fridge yourself. Come on, basic things. You can't reach the glasses on the shelf. You need to ask me to get, come on. You're so needy. Listen, even my four-year-old, she's only that big. There's lots that she can't do that she has to ask me to do for. But guess what? Even my four-year-old, The majority of our conversation is not her asking for things, as needy as she is, right? I'm her father, so we interact. And when she asks if I would pour her milk for her, I'll gladly say yes, but if 100% or even 90 or shoot, even 60% of our communication was all her just asking for things, would that not be a little bit weird? Is there any relationship that you can think of where if the majority of the communication was simply them asking you for things, that it would not get cumbersome? Maybe like, that's how it is with my boss. Yeah, and the way that you said that may have just told you that it's not really something that you desire, right? Could it be that God intends for our relationship to God to be more than a one-sided request on repeat could it be that when jesus said that when you go to your father and pray to him that he will reward you that maybe the reward that he's talking about is not just answered prayers but there could be something beyond that remember what we said last week was the goal of really all of the spiritual disciplines anybody remember somebody tell me I, i saw it oneness oneness Could it be that that God is inviting us into this this closed room to close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen, not so that you can get all of your needs met and requests listed, but so that you can have oneness with the Father? I'm not saying don't ask for things, just like I'd never tell my four-year-old not to ask for things. I want to know what she wants, but there's more to it than a list of Will you? Right? So, here's here's the thing, though. When we talk about prayers, this is what comes to our mind. It's the asks. So let's let's lean into that for just a little bit. We want, let's be honest, we all do this. We all want, we want effective prayers. We want answered prayers. We want results in prayer, don't we? Don't we? So how do we get results? Okay? How do we get results? Now, be careful. I'm going to give you what I'm going to call a recipe for answered prayers, because it'd be really easy to go to one verse of scripture and say, look what it says right here. If da-da-da-da-da, then your prayers are going to be answered. But you've tried that before, haven't you? And it didn't work, and then you got frustrated. So I'm going to talk about a recipe for answered prayers. It means there's going to be a variety of ingredients in this thing. Now, let me just say, I say recipe because it feels a little less rigid than formula, because as soon as we start formulating disciplines that are intended for oneness with Christ, we're just like one quick turn away from just super pharisaical, hypocritical, um, legalistic. Like, that's not the goal. The goal is still oneness. However, there are some practical things that we see in Scripture that are going to kind of point us to how we're supposed to walk this out. Okay. So this recipe, take it with a grain of salt, it's just the best that we can do with this. Okay, So let me give you a little bit of a recipe. First one is this. Recipe for answered prayers, first thing you need, you need faith. right? Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 5 or 6, that anyone who comes to God must believe, we have to have faith, because anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You can't even seek God without faith. We get that. You can't come to God. You can't be a Christian without faith. Faith. You can't be a follower of Jesus without faith. So faith is necessary. However, we see throughout Scripture that faith is not just like a, like a light switch. It's either on or it's off, right? For instance, Paul talks about faith as a gift of the Spirit, right? If faith is the gift of the Spirit and not everybody has the same gifts, there's a special grace on some people for faith. Does that mean if you have the gift of, of faith and I don't have the gift of faith, that you have faith and I don't? No, but I'm saved, so I do have faith. Then what does it mean that you have the gift of faith? That means you've got more faith? Is that how that works? It's what it appears to be. Um, Matthew really, like, keys into this idea. I'm just going to read a, a, a variety of things that just point to some. <clears throat> Matthew uses this phrase, you of little faith, a variety of times in his gospel. In, uh, in chapter 6, verse 30, in Sermon on the Mount, he says, man, will you worry about what you're eating and drinking in your clothes, like, don't worry about those things. Oh, you have little faith. You should have faith to believe that God's going to provide. In, uh, chapter, in Matthew 8, 26, uh, Jesus is asleep on a boat. They're in a storm at sea. And he wakes up and he calms the sea. And he's like, why are you freaking out? Oh, you have little faith. Don't you know I'm going to take care of you? In, uh, in uh, Matthew 14, 31, Peter walks on water. This one's crazy. This one's, this one's incredible to me. Like, I just feel so defeating. Jesus is walking on water in a storm. Peter's in the boat. Like, is that you? Yeah. If it's really you, call me out to you. All right, come on, get out of the boat. He gets out of the boat. He takes a few steps on water. The first man, other than Jesus, to ever walk on water that was not frozen in the history of the world. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. Jesus pulls him out and Jesus looks at him and says, oh, you have little faith. I was like, man, I really need to increase my faith if Peter, who walked on water, had little faith. Oh, you have little faith. What is he saying? You had enough faith to walk on water, but not enough faith to actually make it to me or something. There's, there's faith on a scale. Uh, again, we see it in 16.8 where, man, you're, you have so little faith. He's saying like, you're just seeing physical things. I'm talking about spiritual things. And then in, in chapter 17, Matthew 17.20, he tells a story, and we're going to look at the story in a little bit more detail here in just a moment. What a man whose son was demon possessed, and the disciples tried to cast the demon out of him, but they couldn't. And they take him to Jesus, and he casts the demon out, and he says, "Man, are you have little faith." Now, here's the interesting thing: that we got some faith, but not enough faith. Faith, but I want for results in my prayer. I want, I want big faith to see big results, right? All right, second thing. First ingredient is faith. Second ingredient is God's will. It's an important part of prayer. Understanding God's will. It's an important part of prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says this. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked for. Be a little more direct here. Anything we ask in accordance to God's will, God hears us. And if he hears us, he's going to give us what we ask for. Now, some of you right now are going like, I just don't think that's true. Because I've, I've tried to pray and it's in God's will. Now, here's, here's something I want I want you to explore here for a minute with me. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, and also in Mark chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, there's kind of a storyline, and it's of Jesus in relation to, like, the miracles he was doing uh, in his hometown. And uh, it says that the people in his hometown didn't have faith, which you could imagine. Like, some of them are like, I babysat you. Like, you can tell me you're God, Right? You were, you were my, my kid's friend that had sl- slumber parties at my house. Like, you're telling me you're God? Like I, So I kind of get, like, that'd be hard. Okay, it'd be hard. But either way, it doesn't really matter why. It says there was not much faith in his hometown. And, and it says this, in Matthew 13, 58, it says, he did not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. And in Mark 6, 5 through 6, it says he could not do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, which I f- think is funny. It's kind of like, just like, a. Oh, just an aside note. I accept to heal a few people. Says so he was amazed at their lack of faith. Here's the deal: they didn't have faith, and so they weren't healed. Now, I just think this through. Do you think Jesus walked into his hometown? There was this lack of faith, and Jesus went, crippled, get up, blind, see, demon, be cast. Do you think he did? He said those, and like his words didn't accomplish anything. Do you think like he said, blind man, see. You're like, wait, it's not working. Why isn't it, is it, is it working? Oh, it's because of your lack of faith. No. He just didn't heal people. He didn't ask his father for Because it says, listen, it says this. Jesus says that I do nothing on my own. Everything I do, I do that the father tells me. Anything I say and do, I do that the father tells me. Listen, If Jesus had to be constantly dialed in to the will of the Father in order to say or do or perform any miracle or anything, do you not think that we also have to be dialed into the will of the Father at the same time? So listen, they didn't have faith. And so Jesus sees the cripple and goes, I'd love to heal you. Lack of faith, the Father is, no, I'm not even going to ask. I'm, I'm not going to ask the Father to heal you right now. I'm not, I'm not going to ask to exercise His power right now. Why? He, he, didn't, he didn't have unanswered prayers because he was constantly in step with the will of the Father. And so when he came to a person that was crippled or was blind or what, was deaf or whatever the situation might be, and he had compassion on them and he desired to heal them and the faith was there and he was dialed into the will of the Father and then when he prayed and when he spoke, it happened. But he didn't just go around saying everything and anything. He knew the will of his Father. Now listen, his his knowledge of the will of the Father was like infinite. Ours is not. Okay? And yet, guess what? He still had to take time to get away from the crowd, to listen to the Father, so that he could be dialed in to the will of the Father. Right? I, I just think that's pretty incredible. He had to know when to pray for what. And when it was in accordance to God's will, he answered. Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not conform. You guys know I love this verse a lot, don't you? I use it all the time right now. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've been using that a lot. But I want to focus on the latter part. Because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Okay, don't be like the world. Be transformed. God wants to change your life by the renewing of your mind, which means we renew our mind, and our lives are transformed. And in that process, we become more and better acquainted with God's will. And the more we renew our mind, the more we become transformed, the better understanding we have of what God's will is. So that when we pray, we have a better understanding of what God's will. So we begin to pray into God's will and we begin to see things happen that have not been happening with us in our, in our lives and in our prayers. So we have to pray. First ingredient is we have to have faith. we got to believe that God's going to re- respond. Second is we got to pray God's will which is also on a scale like faith, right? Like Jesus had infinite understanding of God's will. Ours might be small, but we can grow it. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. The third thing is persistence. Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a story of, of, of uh, this person who has a friend, and, uh, or this person, and they have guests come over late at night. There's travelers, they get there, and, and it goes to a friend, he doesn't have anything to feed them. He, hey, I need to feed them something. You start banging on the door, and your friend's like, go away, it's, my kids are sleeping, I don't have time to get you to, and he keeps banging, and keeps banging, and you're awake, my kids, come on, knock it off, go away, I can't, I got nothing for you, and he keeps banging, he keeps banging, and annoying them to death, so finally he's like, not because they're friends, but simply because like, you're annoying him, he's gonna go and get you what you want and gonna hand it to you, okay, and then, this is so weird, and then he's like, and God's kind of like that, so annoy God with your prayers, my paraphrase, but it's pretty much what it's saying, And then he says in Luke, he tells this other story. Obviously, this is a theme that connected with Luke in Luke 18, a few chapters later, he tells a similar story about this widow who'd been dealt unjustly and goes to this unjust judge and just pesters and pesters and pesters and pesters and pesters and pesters and pesters. And And it says, not because he fears God or fears man, he's an unjust judge, but simply because he's afraid that she's going to attack him and she and he wants her to leave him alone. So finally he's like, fine, I'll do what you ask. And the principle is so that you can learn, So what it says, to pray and not give up. Now, Jesus teaches when you pray, don't just ramble. Don't just talk for the sake of talking, okay? That's not going to get you anywhere. But there's a difference between talking for the sake of talking and sounding really spiritual and making, and feeling, making myself feel good. There's a difference between that and being persistent. Sometimes we have faith And sometimes we we believe, man, this is God's will, and I just really sense this is God's will. But we've prayed, and it happens, so we're like, that's it. But there's some things, I don't understand why God does things the way that he does. There are some things that God says, no, 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 I want you to just knock a little bit longer. In fact, this is where we find that verse, knock, and the door will be opened to you. We often apply that to, like, unbelievers. Hey, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, open him up, open up, and, and let him in. That's kind, I mean, sure, that works. But this is the context of that verse in, in Luke chapter 18. It says, man, um, is knocking. Like, knock. Keep knocking. Knock. Keep knocking. Knock. Because whoever knocks, God's going to eventually open that door for you. Okay, so it takes faith. And that's on a scale. It takes understanding of God's will, and that's kind of on a scale too. It takes persistence. That's something I can just willpower myself into. And here's the fourth thing. It takes power. It takes power. I, I want to look at a, this verse of Scripture. I'm, I, I, God showed me something this week that I had, I had not really noticed before, and uh, I'm excited to share this with you in this, in this power section here. Um, ingredients, faith. Ingredients, God's word. Those are important. Ingredients, persistence. But here's the bottom line. Is it? Like, I want effective prayer? I want power. Now listen, some of you are like, isn't that the same thing? I'm praying for results. Isn't power the same thing as results? No, 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 no. (laughs) Power in prayer is what gets results. And and let me explain this through a story in Scripture. In in Mark chapter 9, there's a story. I'll just go ahead and paraphrase it, uh, but you can look it up, research it later. There's a story in in Mark chapter 9 where there's this man who has a demon-possessed son. And this is the same story that we saw uh, referenced earlier in Matthew 17, I believe it is. This man has a demon-possessed son, and, and it causes him to not be able to speak. Uh, it throws him into a, what a, sounds like a fits of, like, epileptic seizure-type things, and throws him into fire and, and water, and, and kids almost died a number of times. And He's, he's demon-possessed, and foaming at the mouth It's gross, and the and, and devil's got a hold of him. And he brings his son to Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, and they try to cast this demon out. Now, Let me mention this as well. The disciples at this point have already performed many miracles in Jesus' name. But here they they bring this this boy to him and they're trying to drive this demon out. And and they can't. And a crowd draws around and these religious leaders start coming around and this crowd starts forming and they start arguing about, you know, you could fill in the blank with all kinds of things they could have been arguing about. And a crowd starts forming and this demon possessed kid is there and and, and Jesus is and whatever. And then Jesus comes And everyone sees Jesus like, oh, let's get Jesus' take on this. This crowd starts coming. Well, then this man speaks up and says, hey, Jesus, your disciples couldn't heal my son. Jesus says to him, or he says, if you're willing, the man, if you're willing, will you heal my son? He says, if I'm willing, anything is possible for those who believe. And then I love the the, the dad's response. I just love this because it just rings true with me. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Anybody ever been there before? (laughs) Like, I've got faith, but help me overcome my lack of faith. Which I think is so cool. So he didn't even have huge faith, and yet there's about to be something miraculous take place. That's why it's a recipe. It's not a formula. So, he comes and, he, and Jesus comes and he, and he speaks to the demon and the demon goes and the man is healed and the disciples or the boy is healed and the disciples come to Jesus afterwards and they say oh, how come we couldn't cast this demon out? And in, in Mark chapter nine verse twenty nine says this kind can come can only come out by prayer and fasting. This time can only come out by prayer and fasting. Some of the older manuscripts we get the translation from say just from prayer, but either way from prayer or fasting. Either way, here's the point I'm trying to make. It comes, this power comes from something that took place before the moment. Something I'd never considered before is is what is my power potential of prayer? What is my power potential? Power, like faith, is on a scale. And there's sometimes, there are sometimes, like disciples, I don't want to use my own life, I'll just look at the story. In this story, the disciples had big faith. They knew what God could do. They knew it was God's will, which was then proven later because the man, the boy was healed. So they were right in alignment with that God wants to heal this. This is within God's, within God's will. They knew it was God's will. So they had that part. They were evidently persistent to the point where a crowd was drawn. They they did all of these things, faith and 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 God's will and persistence. They did all these things. They have performed miracles before. They have prayed and seen the supernatural happen. So there was power, but Jesus says right here, there wasn't enough power. You had all the ingredients, but it's like, you know, like if you're baking a cake, I don't know anything about baking, but I know something about eating. And I know cakes have sugar in them, at least the good ones, right? And if I have this little bit of sugar, I'm going to have all the other ingredients to the full, but if I have just this little bit of sugar, what it means is I'm probably only going to be able to make a little bit of cake. If I want a big cake, I need a lot of sugar so it is in our prayer life. We want to see results. I need to have big faith, big results. I want to see big faith. I need to fully understand the, not fully, that's, that's pursuit that's beyond this lifetime. I want to really understand the will of God. I want to be super persistent. I want the power of God. But so often, one of the ingredients lack, and we go, "How oh God, why aren't you answering these prayers? They had faith, they prayed in accordance with his will, but nothing you can do in the moment can increase the power of prayer. You have to have already developed the muscle. And they hadn't. And they had unanswered prayers. But the good news is that Jesus told them how to build that muscle. Jesus taught them how to find power in prayer. Prayer's power in the moment is dependent on the discipline of prayer in your lifestyle. I'm going to say that one again. Prayer's power in the moment is dependent on the discipline of prayer in your lifestyle. I want to read a a quote from from Dallas Willard from the book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. If you're looking for a good read on the the disciplines... It's not going to talk about, like, detailed them out, but just the uh, overview of the whole thing. Incredible reference, The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. But I want, uh, he he speaks kind of to this, really kind of speaking more to, like, the disciplines in general, but I believe we can apply it to the specific discipline of prayer. He says it is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we so devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want. Effort at the moment of action alone, or prayer in the moment of crisis alone to accomplish what we want, and completely ignore the need for character change in our lives as a whole. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy, or the power we want to see in our prayer. This is the feature of the human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. So, ironically, in our efforts to avoid the necessary pains of discipline, we miss the easy yoke and the light burden and the powerful prayers. We then fall into the rendering frustration of trying to do and be the Christian we know we ought to be, without the necessary insight and strength that only discipline can provide. That's powerful, isn't it? And it's convictingly accurate. We know what we want. We believe in the reality of answered prayers. We believe in the, the, the spiritual maturity. We see it in others. We long for it. but we lack the resolve to discipline our lives in such a way that it would be produced in us. So let's come back, let me come back to Mark nine twenty nine. This kind can only become, can come out by prayer and fasting, by establishing these disciplines earlier. Matthew 6, 6, Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a connection here between these two verses. What is the reward for going into our room and shutting the door and praying to our Father who is in secret? The reward is power in our prayer. Not just like, boom, overnight, but power in the prayer the same way if you want to be able to bench press 200 pounds, you start going to the gym tomorrow, you still can't bench press 200 pounds. But if you want to bench press 200 pounds, you better at least start with whatever you can lift. Right? Right? You'll never even get there if you don't start where you are. So often we want the big, we want the answered prayer, we want all of that is there, and yet we fail to discipline ourselves to live it out. So what is the reward of prayer that Jesus is talking about? One, it's bigger faith. It's bigger faith. You spend time with Jesus and watch your faith, not overnight, not neck by next Sunday. You commit to the discipline of walking with Jesus behind closed doors. You'll find your ability to walk with Jesus out in the open increases, your faith grows. You don't understand what God's will is for your life right now. Spend time with Jesus and watch your understanding of God's will just increase. You won't sense it. You'll more than likely only recognize it after you endure something that was maybe once challenging for you that seemed rather simple this time around. Watch the power in your prayer. You're gonna start to see prayers answered that you've never seen answered before. How? Through the discipline of prayer. Now I had some practical but I don't want to get to the practical until I got some foundational stuff. So, this is one of those messages that just became a two-parter. So you're gonna have to wait for the practical next week. But here's what I want to. Here's where I just want to finish with this. Then, if, if, if the reward that Jesus was talking about isn't just answered prayer. If there's more to our prayer life than a list of asks, then what are we supposed to do with him? What do we do when we go into our room and we close the door? So I'm gonna give you just a teaser for next next time. Two things you wanna know what to pray for, go to the Lord's Prayer. It's a great place to go. And you know what I found in there? If if this is gonna help you, it helps me sometimes when I just get to that spot where I'm like, okay, I I don't know what to pray next. Go to the Lord's Prayer. You know the four elements of what I see in the Lord's Prayer? Praise, repentance, asking, and yielding. This is a super, this is another one of those, like last week, these cheesy alliterations, but this one really works well. And it works well because it coincides with how Jesus taught us to pray. P, for praise, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Start by just giving him honor and glory and worshiping him. Repentance, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And when we pray, here's something, you're not asking for anything other than repentance. It's not coming with a list. You're saying, God, I I humble myself. Show me, like David, show me the areas of my life that, 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 that I need to work on. God, forgive me for those things ask. Give us our day, our daily bread. And then here's the ask, yield combo. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're asking for something, but really this ask is is an action of surrender. God, lead me. Guide me. Uh, Your will is my will. And then yield. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, not my will, but yours. You don't know what to pray next time you're Discipline yourself. You've set the time. You've scheduled the place. You're you're going to pray. Simply start there. Pray, praise, repent, ask, yield. It's super super simple, super simplistic, and yet there's power in the simplicity of that. Friends, I believe that God desires that we be warriors of prayer, but we got to start where we are to build up the faith, build up our understanding of. God's will to build up our persistence and build up that power. We need to be disciplined in our prayer. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your leading and guiding. We see you modeled this. You didn't just tell us what to do. You modeled it and you showed it because it was critical for you. God, may we understand how critical it is for us. God, may we take steps this week, this week, in growing in just a simple discipline of prayer. God, we love you and we thank you for what you're doing in us. God, we want to be on your pathway, the good path, that ancient path. So lead us to your truth where our souls can find rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit LincolnCrossroads.com.